Welcome to Lifestyle Solopreneur, the community for entrepreneurs who put lifestyle first. Join your host, Flavia Barris, as she interviews successful lifestyle solopreneurs and shares ideas to help you find the perfect balance between lifestyle, business, and self. Flavia is an attorney, marketing expert, and founder of several online academies. She's been featured in major media, including BBC World News, The Wall Street Journal, the New York Post, ESPN Television, and more. Join us for this episode of Lifestyle Solopreneur. Hey, Lifestyle Solopreneurs. Today, we get to speak with Charles Carrillo. He is the managing partner of Harborside Partners. It's a real estate syndication firm. He has been actively investing in multifamily and commercial real estate since 2006. Since that time, he has invested in over $200 million worth of investment real estate. He's also the host of a podcast. It's called the Global Investors Podcast, where he interviews professionals about investing in US real estate. Welcome to the show, Charles. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be here. It is so great to have you. And I have had a lot of guests. I mean, we have guests in all kinds of careers, all kinds of professions. But we tend to have a lot of real estate related guests as well. And some people might wonder, is it because Flavia herself is heavily involved in real estate? So she's biased. And you know, the answer is no, I, I'm not seeking out specifically to find a majority of sort of real estate guests. I think it's because our theme is lifestyle solopreneurship and passive income where possible and, uh, leveraging. And I think real estate is just one of those areas of the business world where it's easier to leverage and to be passive than it is in a lot of other types of businesses. So Charles, very excited to have you on. Tell us a little bit about what your company and you do. Yeah. So I've been investing, as you said, uh, since 2006. And I started with... Uh, I'm from a small town in Connecticut. And I started with three family apartment buildings. They're they're small. What we call them like houses, like multifamily houses. And there's a lot of them. They're very plentiful in the, in the Northeast. And um, and then made my way in about 09 to commercial properties, smaller commercial properties, and then been down in Florida since 2012. And since being down here, we focused on larger properties. And since 2018, we've really brought passive what we call limited partners, passive investors into our deals and been able to grow really, really well in the last few years because of the ability of, you know, leveraging our investors' money with the ability of them to earn passive income while we also, we are managing and everything on the active side of it. So let's go to the 101 for a second, right? The basics. For anyone listening who's not involved in this world of real estate syndication, just define in a very kind of Broadway, what is real estate syndication? I mean, what is the business model? Yeah, so real estate syndication is, it sounds a, a lot more difficult than it really is, but really in a real estate syndication, there are two parties. There are going to be, and there's a lot of names for these parties. So you have the general partners or the operators, the sponsors, the principals. Those are where we would come in. And those are the people that are doing everything actively in the deal. We are from everything from uh, figuring out what markets, states, markets, neighborhoods we're going to invest into, identifying the properties, we're getting approved with our credentials for the financing, we're raising money, and every we're doing everything. And we're from A to Z, and then we're also figuring out when we're going to sell it. We work with the brokers on selling it and everything in, in between. Now, with the second bucket there, which is going to be the second part of it is going to be the limited partners or passive investors, as I called it before. And those are really the capital providers. Now, as an operator ourselves, 
we will, us will usually put in about 25% of the required capital to, to do the deal, to purchase it and do the, uh, the required renovations. The other 75% that's required to kind of capitalize the deal is going to be provided by our limited partners. And then we'll also have a bank debt as well, a mortgage on it. But the limited partners are really just providing cash. And we usually hold these properties somewhere between three and seven years. And they provide that cash after they've done their underwriting on the deal. And once that's done, then what happens is that their hands, they're done with the deal. And they receive a typically a quarterly distribution. And then their biggest distribution is when we sell the property at the end of that whole term. So it's really just two groups of people that are working together. One's providing a lot of the active sweat equity, let's say. The other one's providing a lot of, or just only the the capital and they work together. And then at the end of the day, we're able to split, we split the gains with the majority of it going to the past investors and us taking a percentage of what's made after uh, a specific amount has been, has been achieved. So I think it's like usually seven or 8% is how we structure our deals. So anything above that, we usually will split that like 80, 20 with their investors with 80 going to them and 20% going to us. So that's how we're compensated. It's very we're really on the same page and there's a lot of alignment of interest, not only that we put our money in there, but also that those, you know, that people, when, when more money's made, everybody makes more money. And so that's such a great way to summarize the syndication process. And then because I, I do real estate law, I'm involved in the world of real estate and on so many different levels, including the world of syndication. So I always like to caution, especially any newbies, because here's what people hear. They're like, wow, that sounds amazing. I'm going to walk around my neighborhood and talk to friends and family and see if I can get everyone to pitch in 10 grand. And then I can go and like buy a building and I can do what Charles is doing. This is great. So there is also a lot of sort of regulatory oversight and things that you have to do before you can just go out and like solicit funds from friends and family. Plus, there are some limitations on who's allowed to invest, right? So go a little bit, but you know, briefly, because I know we could probably talk for five hours about this, but briefly, some of the limitations on who can do this and who can run these businesses. Yeah. So in my my early introduction, it's it's really a like you said, you can go in many hours of this, and it is an SEC regulated event in the process. So there, you need special attorneys to do it, and it costs us somewhere between like twelve and eighteen thousand dollars per deal just for legal fees just from our securities attorney. So it's not something, this is a more advanced strategy. I wouldn't suggest this when I mentor people, I always tell them, do your own deals with your own money. And then this is something down the road of how you grow your business. But with that being said, you know, there's different, uh, different deals require different credentials from the investors. So when we're raising money, there's not to get into all the, the legal terminology and everything, but there's really two sets of two types of deals. There are going to be ones that's only for accredited investors. And there's going to be one that's going to be for sophisticated and accredited investors. And when accredited investor is someone that is worth over a million dollars, not counting their primary residence, and or makes $200,000 as a single person or $300,000 a year as a, as a married, married couple. So when those two, when those, one of those is checked, they are now a credit investor. On the other end of it, if they don't have that, but they're still knowledgeable of real estate, we consider them um, a sophisticated investor. So we'll have separate deals that will come around and it will allow us to offer them to our different investor groups because we have it all split up in our back end, who's accredited and who's sophisticated. So we know which deals are going there. And um, the other part of it, meaning that with accredited deals, we're allowed to advertise them all over. We can put a billboard up, we can 
advertise them on social media and stuff like this. So you'll see deals like this advertised, but they'll always have some sort of uh, text in there that says for credit investors only. And then on the flip side, once you have a pre-existing relationship with a group like ourselves, we can then offer you the sophisticated only deals, which we cannot advertise. So those are the two main differences here. You have the accredited, the sophisticated deals, and the accredited ones can be advertised and the sophisticated ones, you need to have a personal relationship with the general partner, the operator, whatever you want to call our group. So what's the life like for someone who does what you do? So give us kind of an average, you know, week or three-day stretch. What's on your calendar? What kinds of activities do you do as this kind of entrepreneur? So that's a great question. I've never been asked that before. So really in the morning, what I will do is uh, once I get into work mode, it's really going through with investors on emails. I usually have, uh, I usually leave it for doing a half hour to usually 45 minutes a day of answering emails from investors, current investors, or investors that are potential investors that are interested in investing with us. And that's really where I do that. And then I'll have throughout the day, I usually will do two or three investor calls, whether they are with new potential investors, or if they are with already investors that might have questions about investing into another deal, or on a current deal that they have. So that's a few, that's really two or three hours a day there. That's really just going with just your investor relations portion of it. The second part I would say of my day is really when we're reviewing deals. And underwriting is not my strong suit. So it is something that I review with my with our team. And we have our own underwriters. And we have out we also have um, outside underwriters outside of our company that we hire contractors. And then we have inside underwriters. So we're really reviewing deals in house, seeing which ones we want to do. And then when we're very close on doing a deal, we send it out to our outside contractors to review because they are much less biased. Let's just say everybody's biased if they're going to make some money on a deal. So it's much easier for us to get a, a clean idea of what we're doing when we send it out. And so really, that is the majority of what we're doing on a daily basis when we're having deal flow. And then the third part of that would be we're reviewing deals that we already have running. And that's what we call asset management. And that's where one of my partners handles it mainly, but what we're doing is they're doing calls with our invest with our um, property managers, and we usually will have a call every week with every property that we have with the property manager on every property. And really, we're going over high level of where that property is, what we're seeing, go over the numbers. We will get an email every week that tells us about you know, say we have a hundred units in one of the properties. It'll tell us, and we have um, eight vacancies. We'll see exactly where we're getting leads from people that have applied where they are in it, how we can close the gap a little bit on vacancies or tighten up it if we're tighten up our standards a little bit if we're having more people with delinquencies in our property. So it's really just fine tuning the process as we go. And that will be a lot more calls earlier on in the project. And then it will end up as that consistent once a week as we go through, let's say, months seven on all the way to the end of the, the property. So much going on in your schedule, you know, lots of things to do, lots of demands. Um, Some of it you can't really control because, you know, how many of your investors are going to call in that day or want to talk to you that week, that can probably vary from time to time. So how do you stay sane? You know, because anytime someone's in a demanding job, it is sort of a challenge to keep yourself from becoming a 16-hour workday type person. So what's your secret? So what we've done over the years is that um, I will... How I how I usually do it is that I have uh, we have one more person in our firm that takes care of investor relations calls, 
and they will take care of what we said before. They usually will handle a lot of our sophisticated calls that come in from sophisticated investors. And then I will take the other portion of those, usually accredited investors, and handle work with them one-on-one. So that cuts my workflow down. I have two other partners that focus on other parts of the business mainly. I have one that works mostly on our marketing. I have one other one, like I said before, that works a lot with our asset management portion of it. And then we have uh, two other... We have two assistants as well that assist us um, throughout the process. But what we've done to cut down on a lot of calls with investors that throughout the project is that we've really fine-tuned our communication by using... We, we do, we're do. we very good at with our, our email marketing and our updates on properties. And we've realized that investors will ask for less updates from us on a one-on-one basis if we can be much more thorough in our updates to them on a monthly basis. So that's really how we've uh, changed around our system to be able to grow. And we want to still keep our firm pretty tight. We don't want to have too many people because when you have these larger firms, it requires a lot of overhead, which means that we have to consistently do deals all the time. And that sounds great in, if you're in 2018, 2019. But as we know, over the last year or so, anything with the real estate market, it's a little uncharted waters as we're going through now. And not every deal, most deals, if not all of them what we're finding are not the greatest. So it allows us to not have to do deals that aren't the best deals. And that's one reason why we like to keep the team very tight. And with most other businesses too, people, if they're in a business that maybe has peaks and troughs, you want to keep your... You want to keep, you know, you want to make sure that you keep your bite, your belt pretty tight through these ups and downs because, or you're just going to be hiring and firing the whole time. Yeah. And the market right now, I mean, we're, we're standing here in kind of the late part of 2023 for anyone listening, you know, later in time, but it's, it's an interesting, and isn't it kind of cool time travel? Like someday someone can listen to this and they'll actually know what the future holds. (laughs) They'll be like, oh, well, we're here now in 2024, listening to what people were thinking in 2023. What is this market really like right now? I mean, do you think it's mainly our interest rates have gone so high and that's really just changing the landscape? Or why is it that that the market is so different and so challenging right now? Uh, just the unknown. I mean, when there's unknown in the market of where we don't know these interest rates to go, and this is, you can see this in the stock market too, where we've gone from, uh, I mean, we've over the last uh, 14 months, we've gone all the way down to almost all the way back up and almost retraced our whole gains of what we had before. So. It's been a, it's quite the bumpy ride. And it's the same thing with real estate where people don't know exactly where interest rates are going to sit. So that means that our transactions, the number of deals being done by groups, whether they're, it's just, it's just really, it's really been reduced over the last uh, several months. The other thing too, that we found in our industry this year, and our last deal we closed was at the end of 2022. And it's just a lot harder to raise capital now than it was in say 2021 or, or, or before. And the reason we're finding that is mainly because uh, people don't know what's going to happen. And that is leading to when people don't know what's happening, people usually sit on the sidelines. And I don't want to say that we're sitting on the sidelines, we're always reviewing deals. But um, if you're going in during any time, type of uh, uncertainty, you want to make sure that you're getting a deal on the property. Our, one of our last properties we sold uh, a couple months back in Tampa, we had purchased in July, just the beginning of July of 2020. So definitely a lot of uncertainty in the market. But we knew the area. We had a property a block down the road, and we we doubled down, and we knew it. And it was a fantastic investment for us. One of our best ones we've done with investors. And so having knowing when you know the market and you know exactly what a deal looks like, 
that's where you can jump on it. But we haven't gotten to that point yet because a lot of people are still overpaying for properties with where interest rates are now. So it is something that you, you know, you have to be really mindful. And it's not just interest rates. We also have a lot of insurance fee, a lot of insurance premiums that are going up and also taxes. So there's a lot of, and those are like our major expenses, you know, your debt service, your taxes, and then also your insurance are really the main expenses that you have of owning real estate. It's so interesting to kind of see all these levers and cogs in this big giant system that is our economy, you know, and and everything affects everything else in so many different ways. Like you mentioned, insurance premiums are going up. I recently attended a symposium with insurance companies where the insurance companies shared the panelists were from some of the biggest companies that are nationwide. And they shared that a lot of insurance companies are sort of running either really lean or they're actually losing money in some of the states that they operate in, California being one of them, because California has suffered so many disasters and wildfires. And I mean, California is not alone. So many states have been hit. And uh, so, yes, anyone listening, and if you're listening in 2023, just beware, have a little room in your budget because your insurance premiums for things like homeowner insurance or even car insurance or other types of insurance products might be going up in the next year is sort of what we were warned by these panelists. Uh, Quick question for you. So you work in real estate syndication, but is there any, do you have any side hustles or other things you're interested in? Or is this taking up all of your time and focus? We do a, I've been doing it for one-on-one mentoring with students over the last it's been like a couple of years and it's been like unofficial. And um, over this past couple of months, we've really uh, put together a program and I'm, I'm launching it more on like a, a larger stage of, uh, let's just say, working with more, more mentees on a kind of a one-to-one and also on a group level. So that's something that I've been able to do. And I've kind of allocated one day a week where I work a lot with, with people that are interested in becoming real estate investors or growing where they currently are being a real estate investor and making that leap maybe from small rentals into larger properties. So that's kind of, that's what I really realized as my passion. I never thought it was, you know, somebody asked me, you know, years back and I did it. And then once you start finding people that are really motivated and they actually take action on what you're saying and they are successful doing it, it's, it's very powerful. And uh, it's something that you, it's very powerful and it's great to see people being successful on their own terms. So tell us a little bit about your podcast. You know, what are some of the recent guests you've had on your podcast and what are the topics that you talk about? Yeah, so my podcast, The Global Investors Podcast, I've been doing it since the beginning of or, uh, mid-2019. And what I do is I do an interview-based podcast on Wednesdays and then I do what's called the Strategy Saturday episode on Saturdays, which is really just three or four minutes going over one exact term. Guests that I've had on the podcast, we talk about a lot about multifamily or apartment investing. That's a big topic because that's what I really specialize in. And uh, other topics we have, we've had, we have guests that come on and I, I really like getting guests on with all different walks of real estate experience, especially ones that I don't know much about. So there's people that come on with um, all types of creative financing strategies for little or no money down, which has been very interesting learning about. There's also been, we've had some investors that come on there that are investing into like farmland, uh, vineyards, which is really cool. We've had people that come on that have invested into RV parks or they take RV parks and make them into uh, like campgrounds. We've had people that specifically, uh, they really focus on laundromats. So I, mean, I, I love niches because as it says, niches are in the riches or vice versa, riches are in the niches. But the thing, though, is that um, it's great when you hear people that have really fine-tuned their craft 
and know exactly what to do. And then when you ask them numbers on it or anything, they are so focused on it. And it's it gives so much great information to my listeners because you're able to learn from the inside of what's going through someone's mind if they wanted to partake in uh, in investing in this certain asset class. I mean, that's why I love real estate in some ways, because it's like this endless buffet of different ways that an investor or a business person can get involved in real estate. It's almost like you'd never be able to do all of it. And that's why it's great to have so many different guests. I mean, we've had uh, guests who are involved in note purchasing, you know, purchasing basically loans, acquiring loans, becoming the new lender, and then later selling the loan. I mean, that's a very niche area of real estate. And uh, yes, we've had so many different kinds of investors and and different ways that people have made a passive or semi-passive or a very active income in real estate. So it's it's a fun, it's my favorite. I have to admit, I am biased. I probably am a little <laughs> bit, maybe when you know a guest and I meet, a potential guest and I meet and I hear they're in real estate, I think I do kind of, the light bulb goes up and I'm like, yeah, this this could be a great topic for our audience. Now, another cool thing about real estate is that it's not a local, you're not geographically stuck where you live. So if you happen to live somewhere where real estate is not as great of a market for you to get involved in, like maybe it's a very high price market, high entry point, and you you can't invest, you can actually do real estate in places you don't live. You can do real estate in a place you've never even visited. And companies like yours usually choose their favorite markets and that's where you focus. So geographically, where do you see your company, what are you doing now? And where do you see yourself going? So we love we love the Southeast and a few different markets within that. When I say Southeast, it's really, um, we're going anywhere from, right now we have uh, Dallas is uh, where we purchased our last deal. And we have a great team that's on the ground there. Uh, we have deal in um, deals outside of Atlanta, which is another great market we like. And with uh, a team on the ground there. And then we, in Florida, we focus between, we've done multiple deals in Tampa. And we really like, what we call in Florida, the I-4 corridor, which is going from Jacksonville, Orlando, through Orlando to Tampa. And we love that area. And uh, myself living in the Southeast of Florida, North of Miami, it is expensive here and more difficult to find deals, let's just say. So going into markets where going to these other growing markets that haven't been, let's say, as priced up, I guess we'd say, as the Southeast, which they're they're still expensive, some some deals that come through there. But it's um that's really where we look. And the main thing when we're making is finding, we work from the market, the state level down to make sure that it's what we call landlord friendly of a state. And then we find markets that are growing and we have a number of different parameters that we use. And after we've done that, then what we've done is we really make sure that we have a great team that's on the ground there. And once we have all these boxes checked, that's when we go into it. So we don't regularly go into new markets. We really have a few markets that we'll work on. And we love working with a team on the ground there that allows us to um, you know, to run it as efficiently as possible and that they are, um, as what we call a, a seasoned operator. And I wish the state legislators, like the state, the people in the, the state assemblies and the different groups that are in charge of making laws would listen or sit down with you and have coffee, right? Because when you said we invest in states that are landlord friendly, a lot of states legislators, they pass laws and they promote laws because they want to pass tenant protection laws or, you know, make things sort of more consumer protective. But on the flip side, what they don't really maybe think about always is that when they do that and they they place a lot of restrictions on landlords or make things very risky for landlords who want to invest in that state, 
is they might be dissuading companies like yours from buying a building that's maybe dilapidated and needs a little bit of work. And, you know, you come in and you improve housing, you you make the housing better, better condition, better for the tenants with good property management, where it's probably going to improve their quality of lives for the existing tenants as well as the future tenants. And companies like yours, you're looking to be in states where things make sense from a business perspective. And so I, whenever I see a lot of restrictions placed on landlords and things like rent control and other sort of laws that are designed to protect tenants, I sometimes see it biting tenants because then I'll give you one recent example. California passed a statewide rent control law and uh, it was statewide. So it applies anywhere you are in the state and it restricts the increase of rents in a certain way. But what that does is a lot of landlords who previously were not increasing rents very much every year when a tenant was living there, they would just kind of wait until a turnover and then they would reset to market. But they weren't trying to hit tenants with you know big increases every year. And now those those landlords are use it or lose it because if you don't use up your maximum increase you have available each year, you may someday have trouble catching up because you are limited in what you can do. So it's now tenants are seeing some of them more rent increases because the landlords are actually going ahead and maxing out what they're allowed to do. So things are very interesting when you actually put it into motion. Sometimes it looks better on paper to the lawmakers and the people voting on these things than than in actuality. So tell us if you've seen anything similar in some of the markets you've worked or if you've ever seen changes to laws that have really changed how and when you invest. Yeah. So originally being from Connecticut, it is a more tenant-friendly state. And you over many years of it, because I started investing in multifamily in 06 once I graduated college. My dad had been investing, has been investing in multifamily mainly in Connecticut since 1984. So he I mean, I grew up with just knowing about all the tenant laws and stuff, and you never really thought twice about it. And then when I moved down to Florida and we started buying property here. We found out how lacking of landlord friendliness Connecticut was and kind of our hands get tied with a lot of different, you know, a lot of different things that happen there. And it makes it more difficult for you to manage properties. And like you were saying in California there, you have people that might be renting from, let's say, a mom and pop landlord, Right. And um, now they have to jack the rent because now they don't know what's going to happen. We were just talking about insurance rates there. So now they have to maximize that. Whereas before, they just want to raise it a little bit here and there just to cover their increases in costs. But now they have to be like really militant about it because and that ends up hurting the the tenant. Now, the, other, the flip side on this is I was just reading something that was happening in New York City. And they put these laws through in like 2019, certain additional rent control laws. And now people trying to refinance these apartment buildings in rent control, they weren't valued anywhere near as high as they were before. So they're having these people are having issues now refinancing their apartment complexes. And when this happens, the last thing these owners are worried about is really being tentative to the tenants, right? They're trying to make sure they don't lose their property and they don't lose all of their money and their investors' money. So it's just another hurdle that the investors have to work with. And it just really turns down the appeal of investing in certain markets, like you were saying. Right. Because we also should be trying to encourage not just uh, companies that buy existing apartment buildings and renovate them and, or, or even just operate them as is. But we also want to encourage development, new housing, like brand new housing units that were not there before. And developers, they have to be a little bit more conservative on risk and maybe not build as many projects as they otherwise would if the state that they're looking at was a little bit friendlier 
towards property owners and landlords because, you know, a landlord is actually a housing provider with kind of funny little aside, our realtor association that publishes a lot of the templates that are used in real estate, residential real estate mainly, but also some commercial real estate deals. Those templates have been updated recently to take out the word landlord. It's looked at as kind of antiquated, perhaps even, you know, offensive because it's got this word in it, Lord, and we don't have like a thief type, you know, set up here in the United States. So it was, uh, those forms were changed and now it's a rental housing provider and, uh, or rental property owner, something like that. And it's, these are the, these are the business people we should be encouraging because we do need more housing, especially in states like California. Yeah, definitely. And all these states that have had so much uh, population increases, it's one way that's going to be able to really assist renters with um, keeping their pricing down and being able to, because where we are now with these very intri- uh, very expensive, um, well, very high mortgage rates for the last 23 years, it's really like we're at a 23-year high in mortgage rates. And um, right now, there is a an article I was just reading this morning, a 30%, there's a 30% space between uh, owning and versus renting. It's 30% more expensive to own than it is to rent. And that means that a lot of tenants are going to be coming longer term tenants than they probably want it to be for many years. And the way to keep their rental increases at bay is by building more complexes. And it's something that takes, it takes about three years to build one of these places. So the thing is that you have to make sure that they are not going to, they're not going to be putting up buildings in areas where they don't know if they're going to be able to resell them afterwards or whether they're going to have issues renting them with laws uh, in the future. So it really condenses where these investors uh, are going to be putting their money and where they're going to be raising money for. Well, I'd love to talk forever about this because it's one of my favorite topics, but I want to respect everybody's time, including yours. I know you have your schedule and you are one of those people that has a lot going on. I mean, you've got your podcast, you've got your company... And, uh, you know, I know that you find time to do your hobbies and be with friends, family and all that good stuff. So how does somebody get in touch with you if they are either interested in more about your company or maybe more about your mentoring program or just want to connect in general? Yeah. So our company is Harborside Partners, harborsidepartners.com. And there's a ton of information on there about uh, what we do, about has links to our podcasts, our YouTube channels, everything like that. And Within that as well, we have uh, we have a newsletter and all this stuff is free to sign up for. If you're actually interested in investing, you can fill out a short form on our website and get on a call with myself or one of my partners. And if you're interested in really being an active investor, then you can check out. We have a link in the bottom of our website, uh, Learn to Invest in Real Estate. And that brings you to our education company, which is called syndicationsuperstars.com. So we interested in talking to anybody that's interested in learning passively or active about learning more about real estate. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. Charles, you are so fun to talk to and uh, inspiring, you know, motivating. And I thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me on today. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. And I hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. And if you leave a review on iTunes, I promise I will read every single review. If you know someone who makes a full-time living from part-time work and maybe this is you, please visit lifestylesolopreneur.com to nominate a guest or to nominate yourself. Because remember this, money doesn't buy happiness, but money in the hands of a happy person, there is no greater tool. 
Today's episode was brought to you by the Get Shift Done program. It's a lifestyle changing online class to help you define your business and lifestyle ambitions and to set goals in a way you've never experienced before. This class will 10X your daily productivity with methods that will blow your mind. And if you use the coupon code podcast, the class tuition is 99% off. Visit getshiftdone.com to enroll today.